people should understand that there is a very large public health expo at O Positive. So in the midst of doing everything you're doing in the yoga classes and the bike rides and the 60 bands, on Saturday afternoon from 12 to 2 on Wall Street, we have between 35 and 45 different nonprofits and health organizations coming to give people education on, on what's out there and what's available. Welcome to Spotlight 19. This is episode 16. Saja Tracy here. And I'm Justin. Today, we'll first hear from Joe Conker, the mission control and co-founder of the O Positive Festival, taking place here in Kingston from October 6th through the 8th. The O Positive Festival is such a great way to shift our community's focus back to the need for healthcare since in addition to being this great arts and music festival, it also hosts a health fair letting everyone know about all the services available locally. In light of the demise of the Graham-Cassidy bill last week, the latest Obamacare repeal effort by Republicans, it's important for constituents here in New York 19 to know what kind of health care and wellness services are available to them. So without further delay, here's Saj's discussion with Joe Conqueror from September 30th. On this week's show, we have Joe Conqueror, the mission control and co-founder of the O Positive Festival here in Kingston. This year's festival will be on October 6th through 8th, and we're so lucky to have you on, Joe. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Tell us more about O Positive Festival and how it got started. And the first one was here in Kingston, I understand, right? Yeah, the festival was founded in 2010. I have a tendency to tell the story of this this dentist who came up to me at a party and offered me a beer and said that he wanted to bring a band from Brooklyn to Kingston because at that time, Kingston was a lot of empty storefronts, a lot of downward economic trends. And he wanted to see some a band play, and he would clean their teeth. And uh, I thought, wow, if one dentist would do that, I wonder who else would do that. So I went home and spoke to my partner and wife, Denise Orzo, who also runs our art department at O Positive, and she's an artist too, and got together with some friends and just came up with an idea. Like, could we actually build a system where doctors exchanged with artists and musicians for healthcare? And this was before the ACA, before there was even a conversation around that. And we thought, we wonder if it'll happen. So we got together with some doctors and some dentists and some massage therapists and some bands. And we invited everybody and we threw our first one in 2010. Eight years later, we have festivals all over the country and we're, uh, we're taking care of a lot of people. That is truly amazing to see the growth. Even, you know, we've been here for four years and we've seen it grow and impact other communities. So how many festivals are there now around the country? We have done festivals in San Francisco, Petaluma, Chicago, this year in Haverhill, Massachusetts, and Poughkeepsie, New York, and Kingston again. So let's talk a little bit about how the ACA, which allowed a lot of artists that we've talked to, uh, as you know off the record, um, before we went on, Justin's a musician, and he you know, didn't have the ability to get health insurance before the ACA. Uh, what does the O Positive Festival do in conjunction with the with the Affordable Care Act, which offered artists for the first time the ability to get health insurance? It offered them the ability to have access to health care. And I think that that's something that is it's an important distinction to make, because what we have realized is that we build this clinic where everybody gets care for the weekend. And then we have navigators there from the Actors Fund from the Institute for Family Health and New York State of Health. So musicians and artists, if they want to, can sign up for New York State of Health, the Affordable Care Act, whichever system you want to plug yourself into. We don't require that, but we suggest it. I myself, like Justin, um, 
have been a beneficiary of the Affordable Care Act. I finally can afford health insurance for the first time. As a painter, my whole life, it's always been, as everybody knows, the freelance lifestyle is very up and down. One year, you could make enough money to afford a Cadillac plan. For five years, you may make no money at all and not be able to afford anything. So it's very important that we, as an organization, have the ability to sign people up for the ACA or for their local, depending on what state it is, if it's California Cares, if it's New York State of Health, that they have the option at our festival to sign up. Most importantly, our clinic runs in such a beautiful way because we remove all the labels around all of this, right? We literally say, you're not wearing your doctor's outfit. You're not wearing your, music- your musician's motorcycle boots. You're not wearing a beret as an artist. You're just coming as a human being. And we're going to exchange care for medicine, for art, and take away all of those labels. So, you know, I don't care if you're a conservative Republican, a socialist. I want you in the room taking care of each other. And I want us all to look at each other as a community and remove all the labels. And that's something we should all definitely be doing and focusing on. And I think that this year especially is an important year for the Positive Festival when so much of the national debate has centered on healthcare. And one of the things that we saw in the past few weeks is the administration is taking away funding for advertising for the Affordable Care Act and not letting people know that they have this access to healthcare. So I think that by allowing people to have the opportunity to sign up when you know, the government is actually actively not letting people know what they can access. It's really amazing that you're filling that gap. You're absolutely right. November 1st through December 15th, open enrollment. (laughs) So may as well plug that while we're here. But yeah, exactly. We need to make sure that everything that is available that is out there is an educational resource for all of our musicians and artists, not just at our festivals, but year round. Because I think people have a tendency to see the festival as this great party and how do you do it and it's all weekend long and there's 60 bands and there's 25 murals and it's amazing. But what they don't see is how much connection we do during the course of the year because all of our alumni get a chance to sign up for the ACA, whatever state we're operating in, their health network, maybe find their federally qualified health center, which most people do not know that there are 30,000 federally qualified health centers in this country. And you can walk into any one of them and pay sliding scale and get seen by a doctor. And that's really our safety net in this country. And nobody discusses it, except interestingly, the people on the right who want to remove the Affordable Care Act still want to fund the federally qualified health center because they'd like there to be some sort of safety net in case and they can always hang their hat on that. But, you know, in this day and age, it's very difficult. So what we want to do is let all of our musicians, artists, volunteers, people who come to our festival know there are ways to engage after October 8th with us. There are ways for us to help you find resources and ways to get you in front of a doctor, a massage therapist, a yoga class, whatever that may be, get you on your bicycle riding because you need to be more healthy. There's there's many ways that we connect. Absolutely. And I, my understanding is that O Positive is nonpartisan. It's largely not trying to politicize the events and the issues that you're kind of promoting. However, my I'm wondering whether politicians and local candidates have reached out to you guys to be, become involved with this great organization and festival that's bringing the community to community together and also bringing, you know, outside people into the community to contribute and, you know, visit our local businesses. And it's a huge boost for our local economy here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because the short answer is yes, every one of them has. 
Um, the longer answer is what, what I ask every politician to do if they come to Opositive is to volunteer and get to see what we do and don't campaign. Come as a neighbor. Because if you're a neighbor first, you'll be a better politician. And it's really important that everyone who's running for office, everybody goes into office with their heart in the right place. I don't really, I think no matter what side of it on, you're on, your heart is somewhere in the right place for doing that, for trying to do that job because it can't be easy, right? It, sure. just, it just can't be easy. But if you're going to come to a positive, no buttons, no campaigning, come as a neighbor, take a volunteer shift, take tickets, greet people at the clinic, cook food for folks in the green room, do the things that we need people to do because you're part of the community. And if you want to serve your community, this is what service looks like. And are you getting a good response for those volunteer positions? No, <laughs> we're not. Um, I would say that we get a lot of inquiries and not a lot of people who step up and do it over the years. That's not great to hear, but hopefully that will change. But hoping not, that yeah. your answer would be different, but but you're not you know, surprised. It is what it right? is. I mean, no, you, I would. It doesn't surprise me, um, and it's okay. You know, there are other ways that people who are in office can really help us. They can help us by getting parking for us, parking spaces to use. They could, you know, rent billboards for us if they want. They could do things that the county and the city and the state could do to promote what we're doing. Because the people that are doing this are the people that vote them into office. And I wouldn't want people to get confused about O Positive being political because we aren't. And the reason we aren't is because of exactly what you said and what we just talked about. We want to make sure that we remove all the labels. So that means you're a doctor, you're an artist, you're a musician, you're a baker, you're a dentist, you're a politician. Take off the label, come to the festival. You're a dog, maybe. <laughs> come to the festival in your dog suit and, uh, and enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. Right. And Widnall actually just growled. <laughs> he growled That's at why the... we mentioned. He growled at the mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> um, well... Tell us a little bit more about how O Positive has benefited the artists that it's serving. Well, besides care, right, which everybody will get to see and experience, which is wonderful, right? You all of a sudden you get to see a doctor for the first time in forever, a nurse, and then you get to decide where you want to go in the clinic from there. We sign you up for healthcare post festival. We do all these things that that you need help with. We also really have a great reputation now for engaging our artists and musicians year round as alumni maybe to find shows, maybe to find their next mural project and their next, their next festival. A really good story is one of my favorite murals that we, done is, that we have up was done last year by Jess X. Snow. And she is a woman of color immigrant who did a, who did a mural called Oh Win, Take Me to My Country on the Art Bar on Broadway in Kingston. The year before that, she assisted Chip Thomas on a wall in Midtown Kingston. She had never had a chance to get her first big mural. And she talked to Denise, our, our art director, personally about it because she wasn't given the chance because she was a woman of color. It's a dude's project, the murals. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it comes Traditionally, it has been. So one of our real activist standpoints is to give people a chance, whether it's their band, whether it's their art, to get up in a very big public sphere and show us what they can do. So Jess got her first big wall last year. And it was amazing. And then she went on to do four other mural festivals, uh, Wall Therapy in Rochester, Pow Wow Hawaii, Pow Wow Atlanta, and Mural Arts in Philadelphia because of the wall she did in Kingston. She left Kingston with this beautiful, poetic painting, four stories high, that really engages people on the street and everybody loves. 
Now, this year, her assistant, Jia Song, from last year, is going to get her first wall in Kingston. So we use the arts, we use the, the bands we bring in to pull up everybody, to bring everybody into the conversation and say, you deserve a chance. You're good at what you do, regardless of who you are. Now come do it. That's really very inspiring. And this conversation is making me so hopeful, which sometimes when we're sitting, Justin and I, when we're sitting in these chairs in the studio, we don't get that because we're kind of focusing on all the issues that are going on, um, which are many. And something just struck me that you said that you're showcasing women and immigrants, and that's another conversation that's been swirling around. Um, What are some of the ways that uh, you're bringing a focus to voices that are sometimes left out of the conversation other than what you just mentioned. Right. Well, I mean, there there are so many. We have an Educate and Activate forum that runs all year round. And the first one we did was with Assemblyman Cahill and Ruth Ellen Blodgett from Planned Parenthood of the Mid-Hudson Valley, the Actors Fund, and the Institute for Family Health. Because when the president changed, changed the presidency changed hands, um, there was a big threat to the Affordable Care Act. And everybody thought it was going to go away right away. So immediately we thought, we have to get everybody we know in a room to listen to the people who are in charge to find out what, what they think is going to happen. Let's educate them on what the options are. We did the same thing with food scarcity. We, we made dinner for 250 people at the Old Dutch Church. We just opened our doors to the, to the public and said, hey, come on in, eat. And the YMCA Farm Project, um, family of Woodstock, and the current jumped on board with us, and we just made dinner for our entire neighborhood, and everybody came out and talked about how do we feed each other? How do we actually do this? And I think what I'd like to point this back to about you guys sitting in your chairs and being really worried and talking about, you know, what you're doing at Spotlight 19, which is talking about congressional districts and and larger political things. I think we have a tendency to lose sight of a really simple thing. And that is we can do this on a brick by brick, block by block situation that no revolution starts with a bang. Every revolution starts with a thousand small cuts. And you just have to do what you do in your neighborhood. Do it really well. Connect as hard as you can. Meet your local farmer. Meet your local dentist. Have conversations. And build the sustainable, resilient network that you want to build, no matter who you are on the political spectrum. And take care of each other. And it's something I think we have lost sight of because it's what our grandparents did and our great-grandparents did. And there was a time in this country where there was no health insurance at all. And it wasn't long ago. And what did people do? They slaughtered a chicken, they brought it to the doctor in exchange to see the doctor, or better yet, the doctor came to their house. So there is is something that we can do together. And I think what you're doing here is a great example of that. I think having, having people come together in all ways to do it, it's really, really important. It's community. I mean, it's such a catchword and everybody uses the word community. Oh, my community, my community. But really, that's what, that's what community is. Well, I think that ties in perfectly to this year's theme, which is home, as I understand. Can you tell us how that came about? Oh, boy. Yeah, I can tell you exactly how it came about. Um, every year we decide on a theme very early on. And last year, the last night of the festival, last year's theme was Mothers of Invention. And last night at the festival, the owner of the Anchor Bar, Brandy Waters, who is our volunteer coordinator, um, we were standing at the party, right? We were all like relaxing and breathing at like 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. And she said, okay, I got it. Next year's theme is home. And we all just kind of looked at each other and went, great, there it is. Like, it's that easy. So, but we also realized like home is really important, right? Like home, home is what we're doing. 
you create home. Where is home? Is there a home? Right? It's really important. Like this year, what's home to people? If you're in Puerto Rico right now, what's home? What does home look like? You know, if you're homeless, what's home? Sure. And I think it will be great to see all the inter- interpretations of that theme through the artists. Yeah. Which, how many mural artists are there this year? <sighs> Boy, well, there's 25. I think there's 25 artists. We're putting seven huge murals up this year. So seven muralists. Uh, three are already here working. On the theme of home, I can tell you that if you go down Greenkill Avenue right now in Kingston, Nani um, is an artist from the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico. She's been here for about a week working. And the image she is making is a, a mother and child, and the mother is using her hand to the moon to navigate her way home. It's an old old way of navigation is using your thumb and your forefinger and pointing it up to, I think, the Big Dipper and the North Star, and then navigating your way home with that. And it is a stunningly beautiful mural. And I'm so excited to have someone from the reservation, the Navajo Reservation, come and paint such a beautiful mural for Kingston and really speak to what is home. My last question for you is, what's next? What are, what's next for the Positive Festival? Well, what's next in just tactical terms is to stay really tight in the Hudson Valley and work on Poughkeepsie, uh, Kingston. We have a festival in Haverhill, Massachusetts, and maybe one or two more towns in the Hudson Valley. What's next in the long range might be that we need a permanent home, that O-Positive itself needs a home, and and that, that what would it look like if we could dream together and say, we would like a space with an artist and musicians clinic that operates once a month with a performance space and an art space and an educational space. And what would that take and what's out there? And I can tell you that is the first time I've ever said it out loud. So maybe one of your listeners will think, oh, wow, good idea. I want to help. You're listening to Spotlight 19. So great of Joe to come on and tell us about O Positive, though I was a bit disappointed that Representative Fazzo did not volunteer, actually for that matter, that no politicians have really volunteered as of this recording. Moving on, so what were some of the congressional votes this week? So in the time that I actually was doing some of the research for this week's vote, uh, Representative Fazzo voted in favor of a bill that criminalizes abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy and kind of bans them. And doctors performing these abortions would face criminal penalties, including up to five years in prison. Now, the Supreme Court has repeatedly found that these types of laws are unconstitutional. Limiting a woman's right to choose under Roe versus Wade is often held to be unconstitutional. But And John Fazzle knows this. He said this on the record that he doesn't intend to limit Roe versus Wade, but his vote kind of shows otherwise. Sure, and these types of abortions are rare and account for less than 2% of all abortions performed and are usually due to the extreme health or developmental issues of the fetus, that the White House issued a statement that they will sign on to this bill and back it wholeheartedly. It's amazing that in the light of the fact that the Children's Health Insurance Program providing coverage to 9 million kids in this country and the devastating shooting in Las Vegas, the House is debating the right to choose. My understanding is that some pro-life groups are angry that the Obamacare repeal efforts, which would have effectively defunded Planned Parenthood, uh, were eager for a win. 
But who can really say why this bill came up now? Another bill that was voted on during last week was a bill that prevents collection of retirement or social security benefits by fugitives who have outstanding warrants. Fazo voted in favor of this bill. So do felons on the run from the law really receive government checks very often? Are these individuals actually convicted so they aren't entitled to these benefits anymore? So you're right. These fugitives haven't yet been convicted. There's only a warrant out for their arrest. And then Social Security is money that they have paid into the system. The bill just seems like a way to deprive people who are innocent until proven guilty and the people in their families that might be relying on these on this source of income. Right. Also, FASO voted to advance another bill that provides tax relief to hurricane victims, and he also extended the authorization of the Federal Aviation Administration. Another one of his votes was in favor of reauthorizing and providing funding to the Maternal, Infant, and Early Childhood Home Visiting Program, which was a really crucial bill to some of the low-income mothers here in New York State. That bill passed by only five votes, and FASO was actually one of them. I read that this program allotted the state of New York over $9 million for the State Department of Health to conduct home visits and pursue maternal and child health, prevent child abuse, and improve school readiness for children. So I am glad that FASO voted in favor of this bill, which, without his vote, may not have passed. So in addition to some of these votes on the bills that we've discussed, Fazel also unveiled some of his sponsored bills. First, a bill that takes aim and repeals New York State's scaffold law, which is a piece of legislation dating back to the 19th century. This was enacted to protect construction workers building New York City's skyscrapers. What the law does is that it allows a worker who has sustained a gravity-related injury at a worksite to bring a lawsuit against the contractor or owner of the property, and that worker can recover. Any negligence on the worker's part is not taken into account during the lawsuit. The law has resulted in really high insurance costs for construction projects here in New York, uh, according to some of the reform the groups that are looking to reform this law. I've seen a lot about this in local papers, and a lot of groups, both big-name contractors and Habitat for Humanity, all support John Fazzo's bill. But I thought Fazzo is in Congress now and should be focusing on federal legislation. So Fazzo should be focusing on federal legislation, but this... Uh, repeal of the scaffold law was one of his major causes back when he was in the state legislature here in New York. And the way his bill reads is that if an infrastructure project here in New York is receiving federal funding, the scaffold law will not apply. Instead, the comparative negligence, negligence standard will apply that will require the construction worker to show that it was the contractor or owner's lack of safety precautions that led to his fall or injury, rather than the worker's own neglect. It's worth noting that no other state in the country has a law similar to New York's scaffold law. 
Illinois used to have a law that was similar, but repealed it back in the mid-90s, and they haven't seen a significant degradation in worker safety. In the next few weeks, we'll likely be doing a comprehensive interview on the scaffold law with some experts, but I'd advise some listeners and resistors out there to possibly reserve judgment on FASO on this one because it's not as cut and dry as to the narrative that some people are pushing that this law will definitely uh, roll back worker safety and line the pockets of corporations. There's just a lot more to this law than simply saying a repeal will you know, result in more deaths or construction injuries. We know that it is sometimes difficult to not criticize FASO, but his second sponsored bill is also one that is sensible. The Organic Farmer and Consumer Protection Act. So back in May, there was a huge oversight at the USDA and a huge amount of fake organic soy and corn were let in and mislabeled and possibly ended up on your dinner table. Fazzo's bill, co-sponsored with a Democratic member of Congress from New Mexico, would take steps to prevent this from happening again. So this bill is a step in the right direction, but I hope Fazzle looks at food safety more broadly. We know that the Trump administration is taking many steps to undermine food and crop safety, including defunding the part of the Centers for Disease Control that ensures food is healthy. In fact, the head of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, has stated that his main goal is to roll back regulations put into place by his predecessor. And he was actually the one in charge when these fake organics were let in. So at Spotlight 19, we really hope that John Fazzo closely watches the measures being taken by Secretary Purdue, especially given that John Fazzo serves on the Agriculture Committee of uh, the House of Representatives. And this concludes our episode 16 of Spotlight 19. We hope you all take advantage of the O Positive Festival this weekend. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep the faith. And all you think